fills the sea from top to bottom, extending even into the sediments of the sea floor. Since the 1980s, Smetachik has ventured aboard the Alfred Wegener Institute for Polar and Marine Research's study icebreaker, Polarstern, to study these plankton in their native habitat, the Southern Ocean. It is there that phytoplankton show their full diversity, locked in an endless struggle with zooplankton, the abundant grazers of the sea. One family, the diatoms, their elaborate shells made of the same element as sand, baroque twisting nets, thistles and thorns, even pod-shaped landing craft, guard the ocean-drifting cells as they busily turn carbon dioxide into food, using the energy in sunlight. Like a jumble of children's blocks of all shapes and sizes, a sample of seawater turns up countless thousands of the most abundant life form on the planet and the base of the global food chain. This variety of shapes and patterns shames plants on land, showing more range and size than the difference between moss and redwood trees, though it is the difference between the microscopic and merely tiny. There are more plankton cells in the sea than the current count of stars in the entire known universe. And some scientists argue that phytoplankton can start an ice age given enough nutrients. Plankton and their ancestors were the first geoengineers, large-scale manipulators of the entire planet and its biological, geological, and chemical processes. Some 2.4 billion years ago, photosynthetic bacteria began to bubble out oxygen. By 1.7 billion years ago, oxygen made up 10% of the atmosphere, a massive change in the chemical composition of the air. For the first time, fire was possible, if there had been anything to burn. Slowly at first, but steadily, the atmosphere became dominated equally by geology and biology, off-gassing from volcanoes, and emanations from life combining to wreath the planet in a particular mix of gases. Now the burning of untold eons worth of this captured and fossilized sunshine, otherwise known as coal, oil, and natural gas, has changed that mix of gases again. Carbon dioxide piles up in the sky, swathing Earth in a slightly different mix of opaque gases, that prevent the planet from shedding back to space some of the sun's ceaseless heat. To throw off that greenhouse gas blanket, why not simply copy nature? Use photosynthesis to bind that excess CO2 in carbohydrates, and then bury that food beneath land or sea. Given that the plankton of the sea produce 70% of the oxygen in the atmosphere, these prolific tiny plants seemed a good place to start. Scientific experiments and even accidents of industry have shown that plankton blooms can be reliably induced with the addition of extra trace nutrients like nitrogen, phosphorus, and in the case of Smetachik's work, iron. That's Smetachik's grand scheme. It shows how human intention may tinker with living flows and even harness them. This is the Anthropocene as direct action turning the wildest wilderness into a kind of farm, or a living system that serves human needs. Smetachik and a boatload of 49 Indian and German scientists steamed out of Cape Town on January 7, 2009, 
bearing twenty metric tons of iron sulfate, borrowed from a titanium smelter in Bremerhaven, Germany. He is too European now to be fully Indian, and too Indian to be German, which made him the perfect person to pull together the joint expedition, fueled by the redolent smells of curry. Plans hatched at a restaurant in Bremerhaven back in 2004 to fertilize roughly 300 square kilometers of ocean and watch the results had finally come to fruition. But unbeknownst to Smetachik and his crew, this little iron experiment also had seeded the beginnings of a storm of controversy. And that storm was headed straight for the RV Polarstern. Water covers more than two-thirds of Earth. Yet the oceans often remain an afterthought for the land mammals currently at the top of the food chain. As Smetachik wrote in his final report from that 2009 cruise,